Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Breakdown, an everyday analysis breaking down the most important stories in Bitcoin, crypto, and beyond with your host, NLW. The Breakdown is distributed by Coindesk. Welcome back to The Breakdown's end of year extravaganza. And we have finally reached our final episode in this series of end of year interviews and look forward predictions. And we're gonna close it out with Taylor Monahan, the founder and CEO of MyCrypto. And the reason that I chose this interview to close us out is that we get really big, right? Uh, we're not talking about these small little topics. We're talking about a very existential question, which is what the future of crypto holds. In Taylor's estimation, this year is actually a dividing line. Line, potentially, between on the one hand, the cypherpunk, censorship-resistant, permissionless, non-sovereign sort of values that we all came into this industry with, versus the potential for co-optation and corruption by the introduction of new types of corporate actors or government actors into the digital currency space. Which will it be? Is this a fork in the road moment? These are the questions we get into on this interview. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do like it, you should subscribe to The Breakdown. We're back tomorrow with our standard format, which is an everyday analysis and breaking down of the most important topics in crypto and Bitcoin. But before that, let's hear from Taylor. Let's get into this interview. All right. I am here with Taylor Monahan of MyCrypto, mycrypto.com. How are you doing? What's going on? I'm pretty good. You know, the space is, um, it's insane. It's amazing. But you know, it's it's uh, it's a good way to wrap up the year. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I, I feel like it's been like bored for a little while, and now it's like, well, I'm gonna toss you around a little bit this week just to just to end the year right. Exactly, and um, we should. I shouldn't be surprised by that anymore, but you know, I am. <laughs> It's amazing how fast this like the the space lulls you, especially because we're so like it's so determined by price action. I feel like like over the last few months, every time it's gotten to a consistent level, regardless of where it is, regardless of whether it went up or down, if it was there for like three weeks, people are like, I'm so bored. This is stupid. Like this is boring. What's going on? And then it like crashes three thousand dollars and you're like, Oh, I, I like being bored. This oh, is, yeah. that was the silly thing to feel. Yeah, and I feel like um like the less price action there is, the more people sort of seek out other ways to be dramatic, to fulfill their <laughs> inner desire for excitement or whatever. Yeah, and totally. Then, but then when there is price movement, you have like a like a doubling of of 
you know, oh my God, the price, all everything that comes with that. But then you also still have the people drama, the social drama, the the governance drama, whatever it is on top of it, um, which is, yeah, welcome to crypto. It's a, it's a trial by fire for sure. Um, well, in that light, so as I was telling you, um, doing these kind of quick little micro interviews for the end of the year, just two questions. And I'm really interested in, you know, smart people who have a lot of different perspectives on the space, um, their, their thoughts on this. So the first one is just, what do you think the narrative or story of 2019 was when you, when the history books write the story of 2019 crypto, what, what, what are they going to say? That's it's it's hard because I think that every maybe not every other year, but a lot of the years we had a very strong overarching narrative that was that was pretty obvious. And then um, and all the other sort of like littler narratives stemmed from the big one. So obviously 2017 was was the ICOs. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot that came from that and a lot of these narratives that stemmed from it. But really the overarching thing was this very, very bullish market, uh, the bubble, the ICOs, et cetera. And then 2018 was uh, the the opposite, right? So it was the crashing Mm -hmm. and the burning and the, uh, the realization that, you know, yes, it was a bubble. And yes, what we did was, uh, maybe not super responsible, and maybe all the promises that were made can't actually be kept. But when I look at 2019, it's um, it's neither of those. It's like it's um, it's much sort of more subtle, and I think that the overarching, I guess, feel of 2019 for me at least was uh, a more uh. I'll use the word thoughtful, but I'm not convinced that's the right word, but like a more thoughtful grappling with who we are, what crypto is, and perhaps like what promises we want to keep and how sort of our promises and our identity and our um, the products that we build, how that fits into the real world or the traditional world or the larger, uh, the larger universe that we, we play a part in. Yeah, no, I think that that's true. I think that, you know, I, someone who spends a lot of time watching the state of the conversation, I feel like, um, I feel like there was a lot of consolidation around, you know, if I'm still here or if we're still here, it's like, what are the things that matter to keep us here? You know, even the, even the, even the fights, I feel like going back to the, what we were talking about before we dived into this or dove into this is they're more fundamental in some ways, right? They're not like nibbling around the edges. They're very core questions of what's the point. And I think you're seeing this obviously between communities, but you're also seeing it even within communities, you know, like recently there's been an interesting uh, conversation triggered uh, most recently, I guess, by Jill Carlson's uh, post last week about the, you know, is crypto about, does it, does it actually have the purpose of mainstreaming or is it really for censorship, uh, for, for censored transactions? And this reflected to me, there's been a, another conversation that I think people like Joe Weisenthal from Bloomberg have tried to kick up that even within the Bitcoin Bitcoin community, people have, I think, for the first time, um, in some cases, asked themselves, like, do I care more about the censorship resistant aspect of it? Or do I care more about the um, the kind of sound money, like non-debasable money, right? Because there's a scenario in which you're fine with it being kind of, you know, uh, captured or co-opted to some extent by the larger system um, and integrated into all these institutions, if you believe that it's going to be the, the future reserve currency of the world or whatever. So anyways, this is a long-winded way of saying that I, I have 
have seen, it's like, that's a very different conversation than just, this is a scam. That's not a scam. This is stupid. That's not stupid. And and I think that that's interesting. No, it's super interesting. And Jill's, um, Jill's post and even more so the response from her post really, really encapsulates this, right? Because um, she personally has a really interesting experience where she's been in Bitcoin uh, and the ecosystem for, for a long time. Um, she's seen the the sort of cypherpunk mentality sort of come and dominate and go and, and come back a little bit. Um, and she obviously, like personally as an individual, is grappling with, you know, wait, if we want mainstream adoption, does that, like, what is lost? And if, um, if we, you know, if you lose the things that matter to us, then is it still worth it? And I actually think that um, uh, Jameson Lopp a while back had a tweet uh, where he was responding to CZ from Binance and he just said, you know, no, adoption at all costs is not worth it, period. You know, and, and that sort of like the grappling, the back and forth, the determining why we're doing what we're doing and what matters at the end of the day, it it affects and impacts sort of every single chain, every single network, every single project, every single person. Um, and that's why I do say that's the dominating narrative, even if it's not um, as strong or as, as obvious as some of the, the prior narratives. Yeah, it's almost like a tonal shift more, right, than than a narrative in some ways. Um, I remember that lop tweet actually. I think it was after CZ asked if we were going to thank uh, President Xi for for being excited about blockchain, yes. um, which obviously provoked a real response. Because I, I think to your point, part of what is driving some of that more existential contemplation is the fact that like the emergence of Libra and then the response to Libra from China, and then the response of all the governments of the world to both Libra and to China's response to Libra is raising the stakes, you know, and that's forcing the people who have been in this industry for a while, who have been talking very philosophically and theoretically, uh, in some ways about what the future of money looks like. It's like, holy shit, the future of money is here now. Like, that's a conversation we're having. Um, so I like that. I think that's a great answer to, to this question. Yeah. And um, actually, what you just said sort of brings you nicely into your next question, which is, what, what do we think 2020 is going to be? And um, I would say 2020 is going to be more grappling, but also it's probably going to be, uh, by the end of 2020, I would say that it's going to be pretty obvious which path we're on. Um, right now we sort of have, I would say that we have a variety of options of which path to take, but I think that I think 2020 will be sort of the deciding factor, right? And And when I talk about the paths, I'm talking about you know, it's possible that the Libras uh, and the Chinas um, will come to fruition and will be sort of, that will be what blockchain technology is. Um, and the other path is one where uh, the people in the space now and the Jills and the Jamesons, that uh, philosophy or that uh, mindset wins and blockchain remains something that uh, maybe it doesn't have, you know, mass adoption, but it maintains its identity as censorship resistant and uh, a thing that uh, 
rebels against societal norms and the governments and the big private corporations, et cetera. Um, and I think it'll be very interesting to see how that path changes, uh, how it evolves, where that path actually leads, because, um, yeah, if, you know, the Chinas and the Libras and probably a variety of, of propositions by all sorts of people to basically mash up blockchain technology, uh, throw out the philosophies and, uh, you know, continue doing pretty much exactly what the existing systems do, but now with the blockchain, I think that's a very real possibility. Um, and we'll see who fights it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I feel like it is almost totally inevitable. The cat is out of the bag, I think, with central bank digital currencies. I think they're happening and they're coming. And if and if there was any chance that they weren't, that's been eliminated by China's response, right? I think to me, one of the really interesting things is going to be to see how you how the U.S. responds to a digital yuan, um, because I think it it ha- like they, they have to in some ways if they have any hope of retaining the world's reserve currency status. So to me, the, I think that you're right that there's these very seriously potentially divergent paths. I guess the question for me, and and this is you know, maybe you have an answer, or maybe it's just more theoretical, and we we leave it for for pondering. But is you know in the in the context of a world in which those projects are happening, right? Uh, corporate chains, maybe it's not Libra because that one gets caught up in bureaucratic red tape, but you know other corporate uh, corporate coins, um, but particularly these the kind of raft of central bank digital currencies uh, can can that coexist? Does it, how does that shape and change the direction that we're in? Um, you know, does it just co opt it? Does it just totally blow out that mainstream use case and leave it to be um, something for the margins, something for the edge? Is something for the censored transactions, or is there actually a world in which people are using Bitcoin for things that aren't uh, aren't just censored transactions, and the digital yuan, and the digital dollar, and Libra exist? And I don't I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, I, I definitely don't know the answer, but it'll be um, it'll be very very interesting to see where it goes. And I think that one um, sort of one interesting path that that could or one interesting result that could um, come from this divergence is that you actually see um, the concept of blockchain or the concept of um, this, the identity that we currently have, that that actually sort of forks. So that um, when I say, hey, I work in blockchain, I don't, that doesn't mean the same thing tomorrow as it means today. And you'll actually mm-hmm. have... Um, You'll have it like in the same way that you you can say like I don't know I work for tech a tech company that doesn't really have an identity tied to it. It could mean that you're uh, you're working for Google or you're working for Facebook, but it could also mean that you're working for any technology company ever. You could be using that technology to the, solve the world's problems. You could be using it to. Um, you know, in evolving economies, you know, there's so many different things. Um, and so then where, where does our identity stem from? And in the same way that, you know, a person who say works uh, building technologies for an NGO doesn't identify as a technologist, um, that'll be the same way that people who use and build with blockchain technologies for, say, censorship resistant stuff like they're not going to identify with the blockchain in the same way anymore if if the blockchain identity has been sort of co-opted by uh, the governments and the corporations. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. And and you already see it, right? These these different segments of this industry are d- desperately kicking against each other, trying to have their own space, right? And and you see it obviously with the 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 Bitcoiners who, you know, it's Bitcoin, not crypto. You see it with the folks who just want to spend their time focused on DeFi. But then even, you know, I, one of the conversations that I've been having a lot in these interviews is whether DeFi has um is it out outpacing Ethereum in some ways? Is it is it bigger than any one chain as a concept? Because it feels to me like we're likely to see people who identify as working on decentralized finance, not working on Ethereum, even though they obviously retain a, a big overlap. So I, I think that you're spot on and we're, we're already seeing some of that balkanization. And I, I can't imagine that that doesn't continue just as I mean, and, and probably in a healthy way, right? It's it, like, as things mature, people figure out what the actual sub segments of industries are and how they relate to one another or how they don't. And, and it, you know, they, they do their own thing. So, um, but interesting times ahead, no matter what. So listen, Taylor, I really appreciate the time and all of the interesting thoughts. And it, it sounds like you, like me, are, uh, are, are fascinated to see what happens next, let's say. I am indeed very, very fascinated. And I, um, I think the one hope I have is that we, I think that we need to maybe diversify where our identity stems from so that if uh, a word is co-opted by someone else, we do not... Uh, have a crisis in identity because that could be personally destructive and also destructive to um, groups of people who could work together, you know, who could work together to make the world a better place. Um, But because we are having an identity crisis, we end up fighting and rebelling against one another and and end up destroying ourselves as a whole. Um, But yes, I am fascinated. I'm fascinated by the overlaps of, of people and technology and we'll, We'll see what 2020 holds. Well, very interesting thoughts. I think wise words. So thank you so much for your time and uh, look out for Taylor in 2020. Thank you. Take care, Nathaniel. Hopefully this is the last time you hear this ad because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts. Or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com slash goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details.